into CNN. How many did that? And nobody did? Just me? <laughs> okay, so like if you're not turning into CNN, you're not watching uh, the end times unfold. I said that we're doing this series on Ezekiel, Countdown to Armageddon, not to scare people, but rather to inform people, to let people know where we're at in God's prophetic calendar. Now, if you were watching the news last week, you would have seen the devastation that hit New York. How many saw that? We're looking at, they're saying some 50 over $50 billion worth of damage to, to that part of the United States. Let me read to you a passage of Scripture from Luke 21. And um, in verse 25, Jesus says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. We say sea ocean, the waters. Jesus predicts that this is what's going to happen in the last days. We have seen Hurricane Katrina devastate the southern uh, United States. How many remember that a few years back? And now we've just seen New York devastated by, uh, by literally by the sea. And Jesus says that men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken And then Jesus says this, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Why talk about prophecy? Why go into this subject, which so many people find confusing, so many people find that it's, it's beyond them. I was talking to somebody earlier this morning, and they said that when they, when they were kids and the pastor would start talking about prophecy, about end times, they would just zone out and just sort of wait for everything to be over. This morning, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to keep it very simple and try to explain to you uh, what these last days are going to look like. We're going to talk about the beginning of the end. What is the beginning of the end? And we talked about that last, over the past two weeks. And then today, I'm going to talk to you about what the end actually looks like. But why, why, why look at prophecy? Well, for the simple fact that one-third of the Scripture is, in fact, prophetic in nature. And of the 66 books in the Bible, all of them except four have some prophetic element to it. In other words, there's something in there about some prophecy that is about to take place. And here's what many of us don't maybe know, but there's only about 14% of the prophecies that are yet to come to pass. And most of them have to do with the establishing of Israel as a nation. And of course, that has taken place. But now the next step would be the actual last events or the events of the last days, the coming of the Messiah. And so we look to prophecy so we can understand what God is doing, what God wants to do. But even beyond that, folks, and this is really important that you understand this, is that we look to prophecy so that we can understand what God is doing, what God has done in the past, what God is doing now, and what God will do in the future. Can I just remind everybody today, God is a good and gracious God, and, and he, he does not hide things from us. So those who, as Jesus would say, have, have an ear to he- hear, let them hear. And so this morning, that's what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're going to apply our ears to hearing what is happening around us. 
So we, we look to prophecy to understand what's happening in these last days. We look to prophecy to, to recognize that God is in control. Um, how many know that history is actually his story? Anybody know that? You've heard that before? Um, let's take a look at this. Back in 1971, before Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States, he was actually first the governor of California. At a banquet that he was at for Senator James Mills, after the main courts, Reagan leaned over to Senator Mills and he he says to Mr. Mills, are you familiar with the fierce Old Testament prophet by the name of Ezekiel? Of course, Mills was quite shocked, wondering what on earth we're talking about a Bible prophet at a, at a special dinner to honor him. But Reagan, you must understand, was absolutely intrigued and thrilled at the discussion of the last days, and particularly, um, he was thrilled to know about these last days. And so he goes on to say to uh, Senator Mills that, that Magog in Ezekiel is in fact Russia. And of course, uh, you and I, we know that. Now, we heard, we heard the explanation for that last week in our service. But Reagan, back in 1971, very, very interested in this whole, uh, in the whole aspect of prophecy. He, he's discussing at this, at this special dinner to honor this senator, he's discussing actual prophecy in the end times. It so intrigued him. It so, it so dominated his thinking that he couldn't help himself. He had to discuss prophecy. Now, he, Reagan, as some of you may know, was the one that uh, was responsible for helping to bring down the Iron Curtain back in 1989. How many remember 1989 when the wall, the big Berlin walls came down? Uh, how many weren't born yet in 1989? Uh, I know exactly where I was when it happened. We were in... in um, Greece, Gloria and I were there as missionaries, and we, I mean, we were glued to the radio. We used to get the Voice of America in Europe, and we would, we're just listening to, to history unfold. And it was Reagan who said to Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Remember that? And now you have to understand something. Reagan, Reagan is, is speaking not just as a president who wants to do what's right, but he is, he is a man who is rooted in biblical prophecy. Now, a lot of people don't know that. His biographer, um, uh, Edmund Morris, in his book, Dutch, A Memoir of Ronald Reagan, said that, in fact, his favorite book to read was the book of Ezekiel. It absolutely... It absolutely it captivated his heart and captivated his mind. He couldn't help going there and discussing it. Now, in his book, uh, Edmund Morris talks about these, these exchanges that would happen between uh, President Reagan and the chief of staff and the security advisor. So here, here get this picture, Ronald Reagan with uh, Howard Baker, the chief of staff, and Colin Powell, who was at that time the national security advisor. And Reagan says this, when it comes to Ezekiel 38 to 39, the man who comes from the wrong side into the war is the man, according to the prophecies, named Gog from Meshach, which is the ancient name of Moscow. So just to, for those who weren't here last week, remember, Magog is Russia. Gog is the dictator who comes out of Russia. And uh, some scholars believe that the, that the city mentioned in the first part of, of uh, Ezekiel 39 is, in fact, Meshach, which would be uh, present-day Moscow. 
So this was all prophesied back some 2,500 years ago. Remember that. Mr. President, Mr. Baker says to Ronald Reagan, I wish you would quit talking about this stuff. It really upsets me. Interesting, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. For those of us who don't understand God's plan, this stuff is scary. It's kind of frightening. In fact, some of you are thinking to yourself, why on earth did I ever come to church today to hear this stuff that's so scary? Listen to me. You have nothing to be afraid of if you're ready to meet the Lord, if you're ready to see Christ, if your life is focused not on things of this world, but focused on things that matter. How many know that the things of this world are temporal? The word temporal comes from the word temporary. These things are going to pass away. The only thing that matters, folks, is your soul. In fact, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You know that verse. And so what we need to be as people who are religious, or let's use a better term, those of us who are Christ followers, or those of us who are looking to God as God the Father, as the only God, we understand that we are, so, we are to approach life with an eternal perspective. E, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, in fact, says that we were born with eternity in our hearts. We are eternal beings. And we, we believe that when you die, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And this, by the way, is an Old, this is an old Testament as well as a New Testament concept or, or principle. So Ronald Reagan... Uh, as it turns out, in his biography makes it really clear that Ronald Reagan is in fact a devout Christian and that his desire is to see God's will done in the world and he believes, it believed that somehow God was going to use him as part of that whole last day scenario. So here's, here's what we do know. We do know that, um, that Russia seemed to go through a period of great change. So back in 1989, many of the uh, pastors were thinking, man, I think we, we must have misunderstood what Ezekiel 37 to 39 is all about. We must have missed the point of this. Along came Gorbachev with perestroika, everything's open, Russia is now the friend of America and the Western world, and, and everybody's thinking, oh, well, maybe Russia is not the country that's going to attack Israel. Well, now fast forward 20 or 30 years, and lo and behold, what God said is actually true. There was a bit of a hiccup in what was going on in the world. So here's what you and I need to learn to do is we need to learn to see the big picture instead of just seeing the micro picture. So here's, here's what we do know today. And again, I told you this. Go on Google or go to YouTube and Google Iran. Just punch in these words, Iran Russia and Israel, and watch what pops up. You'll be amazed. Do it on YouTube. Do it on, on Google. You will see that, in fact, Russia is an ally of Iran against Israel. Does everybody understand this? And so directly north of Israel is this nation, this massive, massive nation that is actually aligned with the nations who are anti-Israel. And you need to know that Israel's only friend or, or main friend would be United States of America and, by the way, Canada. Now, what does the beginning of the end look like? Well, we've, we've talked about that. We said that in Ezekiel chapter 37, 
Ezekiel is telling us that the beginning of the end will actually be the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Well, lo and behold, back in the mid-1800s, when only 0.2% of of the land of Israel actually contained Jews, only 2.2%, the rest of the Jewish population is spread throughout the world. And suddenly, as if somebody flicked a, 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 a switch in the minds of Jewish people, they start migrating, as it were, back to the promised land. Nobody can understand it. Nobody, nobody can, can, can say why this is happening. But we who know what the Scripture says, we understand that God is doing a sovereign, supernatural work in the hearts of his people. Now stop and consider this for a minute because you need to understand the context for this great miracle. How many of us here would be prepared for, well, let me say this. I'm, my grandmother was from the Ukraine. Anybody here from, from the Ukraine or Ukrainian roots? Don't be ashamed. <laughs> There's a few of us. Okay, so here's the thing. If, if someone came along to, to me and said, you know what, you should, you should go back to your homeland. And, I, and I'm going to say, so what you're saying to me is you want me to sell my home, you want me to uproot my children who are just finishing up school, getting ready to go to university, college, etc. You want me to quit my job, you want my wife to quit her job, and you want us to return to the great and prosperous land of the Ukraine? Are you kidding me? And what is there for me? Do you have a palace waiting for me? I might consider it then. No, there's no palace waiting for you there, but when you get there, you'll maybe get a little, a little tiny plot of land and you can build your own house. And I would say, well, are you going to provide the money for this? No, that's something you've got to take care of. So you want me to leave everything behind and return to the land of my grandmother? Well, it's just not going to happen. Okay, listen to me. You see how absurd that sounds? We're fighting great odds here. But this is precisely what happened in the mid-1800s. For no apparent reason, people started returning to the Jewish homeland. Now, some would say, well, it was because of the pogroms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the fact of the matter is, is that throughout the Jewish history, uh, throughout the, the 2,500 years of exile, Jewish people have experienced terrible persecution. You know that. But suddenly, they're saying, we want to return home. We want to return home. Now, remember, there is no home yet. Israel is not a sovereign state yet. In fact, Israel has not been a sovereign state for 2,500 years. From the time that Ezekiel is giving this prophecy, there is no sovereign Israel. And yet these people are returning to a land which used to be the sovereign state of Israel. Now this is really amazing. Because Ezekiel tells us that in the last days, the beginning of the end, we'll see a great migration of Jewish people back to their homeland. It was in about the mid-1800s that uh, a, a movement arose called the Zionist movement. Has anybody ever heard of that? And, and so basically, the Zionist movement rose up and started agitating and asking the nations to help them establish a sovereign state for themselves. So that in 1897, this movement called Zionism encouraged the Jewish people to, re- to return to the promised land, which at that point, that time was not a promised land. We're talking about desert people, desert and nothing. But it was the promised land and that it was the land that God gave 
to Abraham, irrevocably gave to Abraham and said, this is the land that I will give you. Now, please understand something today. The reason we stand with Israel, the reason we back the Israeli state, the reason we believe that Israel deserves to exist and that that land belongs to Israel is because God gave it to Israel. And this was a sovereign work of God. And, and God does not, how many know God is not like a man who changes his mind? Everybody knows that? I will tell you, some churches have what we call a revisionist theology, which says that Israel, that the modern Israel is in fact the church, and that God has transferred his covenants and his love for Israel to the church instead. I'm going to de- declare before everybody today that that is an absolute lie. God loves his chosen people. They remain his chosen people. And there's a reason why, people, you need to understand that it is through the Jewish state and the Jewish people that God makes his promises known to this world. Does everybody understand that? He declares himself, he shows himself for who he is, the great, faithful, loving, and merciful God. I got more to say about this. So in 1917... We see a statement by Great Britain supporting a home for the Jewish people. It's called the Balfour Declaration. Now, this begins to get pastors' theological juices flowing. They're getting excited now because they're seeing something happen that hasn't happened for 2,500 years. They're seeing the possibility, because remember, it hasn't happened yet. They're seeing the possibility that Israel could in fact become a nation, as Ezekiel prophesies. And some of, the most, some of the most radical pastors and preachers of that era, they said emphatically that in fact Israel will become a nation. It's just a matter of time. Now here's the thing, you need to understand, because from our perspective, it's, the, the event has happened, and it's like we don't understand just how significant this is. Listen, in 1885... There was a group of rabbis in Pittsburgh who wanted to make a statement to the world and in particular to the Jewish people. And here's what they said in 1885. They made a resolution and they said, quote, we consider ourselves no longer a nation but a religious community and we therefore expect neither a return to Palestine nor a sacrificial worship under the sons of Aaron. Remember that the sons of Aaron were the ones who facilitated sacrificial worship, nor the restoration of any of the laws concerning a Jewish state. So basically they're saying, not only do we not believe that Israel will become a nation, but we don't support the idea. It's impossible. And then watch what happens. Just a mere 60 years later, some of you here have lived longer than that, so it could conceivably be something that could happen in your lifetime. In a mere 60 years, we see in, the, in 1948, the United Nations making a resolution that declares that Israel is, in fact, a sovereign state. Now, you have to understand something, people. This is the first time in 2,500 years that Israel is, once again, a sovereign nation. And it is this fulfillment of prophecy that is absolutely the linchpin in this doctrine of the last days. 
This is the major sign that indicates the end of the age as we know it. Ezekiel 37, 38, 39. If you haven't read it, you need to go read it. Not now, please. Israel becomes a nation. This is the most important event that signals now the next step in God's prophetic calendar, and that is the coming of Messiah. We believe that the Messiah is Jesus. It's interesting that as we get closer to the event, more and more Jewish people are maybe giving it a second thought. Maybe, that could, maybe we do share the same Messiah. But here's one thing that they will tell you, is that they will say, we believe Messiah is coming. Well, we happen to believe the same thing, very interestingly. Now, let's just talk, take just a minute, a minute longer to consider the beginning of the end. We're not talking about the end here yet. We're talking about the beginning of the end. In 1948, Israel becomes a nation. No sooner has the United Nations declared Israel a sovereign state, but now 20 million Arab neighbors begin to attack this little tiny brand new nation of only 600,000 people. 20 million against 600,000. Now, who should win this? Statistically, who should win this battle? We're talking five armies against one army with a few tanks and a few guns and and, uh, maybe a bow and arrow and uh, maybe a few sticks and stones. We're talking about a very primitive army versus five armies and 20 million people. And surprise, surprise, Israel overcomes all her enemies. And the world looks on and says, these people are either a, a super race or God is involved in this. But people, listen to me. If you understand what it says in Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, you know who's behind the salvation of Israel. God's will is that this nation be established, full stop. Now, here's the thing. The Arabs say, well, they just got lucky. Really? Okay, so let's fight them again. 1956, we'll attack Israel again. Boom! Israel overcomes, and their enemies are defeated again. Interestingly, as Israel wins that battle in 56, their, their borders begin to expand. And the Arabs are saying, well, Israel just got lucky. <laughs> Quite a coincidence, isn't it? 20 million against 600,000. Well, 1967, how many have heard of the Six-Day War? They attack Israel. Israel moves in, and again, rather than losing, they win, and their borders expand again. And the Arabs are getting panicky now, saying, man, we got to stop this. Let's attack them, attack them again. So in 1973, the attack happens again, and once again, this time Israel expand, expands their borders all the way down to Egypt. And now the United Nations has to jump in and say, hang on a minute here, hang on a minute, let's back up a little bit here. Over and over and over again, we see God coming through for the people of Israel. Don't you think somebody by now should get the message that God wants this to happen? Don't you think that, that 
that people have finally connected the dots and realized that God wants Israel to exist? Well, apparently they still don't get it. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, it tells us that there will be an ongoing negotiation for peace. And then it says that a peace will eventually be signed. The peace is going to be established between Israel and what we know as the Antichrist. Has anybody ever heard of the Antichrist? When we say Antichrist, remember that the Christ means the anointed one. We learned that in our Christology class on Wednesday night. Christology simply, or Christ simply means the anointed one, the one who is called the Messiah. So this will be the anti-Messiah. He will sign a, a peace treaty with Israel. And remember, this is going to be the first time that Israel has entered into this kind of a peace. But suddenly the lights come on for Israel when the Antichrist sets up what Daniel calls the, the abomination of desolation in the temple. Now, I'm not going to get into that today, but here's, here's the thing. I told you that this series on Ezekiel was going to go for three weeks. Last night, as I was going over my notes, I thought, man, i got to go one more week. So, people, listen, you're going to get one more week of this. Sorry. But I'm going to talk next week about the Antichrist. I'm going to talk about those, those, some of those, those last details that everybody is always asking about. So let's get back to this, the beginning of the end. So we, we understand that before we can have this war, which, which we talked about last week, the, the Battle of Armageddon or the Battle of Gog and Magog, remember the Russian dictator who brings Russia and the allies, which would be Iran, before that can happen, Israel has to be established as a nation. Well, guess what? That's precisely what happened in 1948. Now, um, this state of Israel prophetically reborn in these last days is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, 37. And so you need to know that the, the clock that indicates the end of days has already begun the countdown. It's already begun. So the beginning of the end has begun. Now let's talk for a moment about what the actual end looks like. Jesus has been asked by his disciples... Jesus, tell us, what's it going to look like in the last days? How will, how will we know uh, when, the, when the end has come? Well, take a look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Let's, I think we have it on the screen here. And here's what Jesus says. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have read this verse for so many years I've, I've actually, I've, I've broken a hermeneutical rule, uh, the rule which says you need to interpret a verse by, by its context. Now, I'm going to just say this. There's some here that might disagree with me on the interpretation of this, but g just give me a minute here and let me explain myself. You see, and, and by the way, I'm in good company because almost everybody interpret, interprets this the way I've been interpreting it for years. But many people have believed that that the end of time will come when we, the church, get really, really busy bringing the good news of the gospel to the, to the whole world. And that, that we've got to, you know, use everything at our disposal, get the satellites going and get the TV preachers going. And how many know that TV preachers are not the answer to the needs of the world? Anybody give me an amen on that, please? Thank you. Okay, and I don't want to hear your comments on that. I'll just leave that alone. 
But here's, here's, what, here's what you need to know. If you take a look at this verse, and if you've got your Bibles, turn, turn to uh, Matthew 24. But if you look at the verses surrounding this verse, here's what you, here's what you find. He says, um, Jesus says this, And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then he says this, and then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then verse 15 says, so when you see standing in the holy place, what? The abomination of desolation, which I just talked to you about, the Antichrist. He says, then let the reader understand that the end has come. Now, let's look at this verse for a moment because it's really important. This word preached can also be uh, translated heralded or proclaimed. It can even be translate, translated signal, to signal something. Now, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. It's really pretty significant. Jesus says that this good news of God's kingdom shall signal to the whole world what he is doing in the nation of Israel. You say, how, how, do you, how do you get that out of that verse? Well, let's take a look at what it says in Ezekiel, and then you'll see the connection. Now, before we do that, let me just say this. This verse here seems to indicate more, more than indicating a sort of a, a, a revved up, uh, strategic, on fire, energetic kind of preaching agenda, it seems to indicate more of an event that's going to take place. Remember this. If you look at the context, there is nothing there about revival conditions. There's nothing there about the world sort of looking to know the truth or got hunger to know the truth. It seems to be indicating more of an event that's taking place that, that is a signal to the world or that is a testimony or a witness to the world that, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And so rather than recognizing this as the, the outcome of revival condition, it seems to indicate rather the outcome of a great event that takes place. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to drop it on you now. It seems to me that the event that Jesus is referring to here is none other than Armageddon itself, the battle of Gog and Magog. It fits better with the context. Now, we know from Ezekiel that God will use the war of Gog and Magog to display his great glory among the nations and to pour out his Holy Spirit on the land of Israel. Look what it says here in Ezekiel 39, 1-6. Let's put that up. And so here's, here's God speaking to Ezekiel. He says, Son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm your enemy, Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshach and Tubal. You and your army and your allies will all die in the mountains. I will feed you to the vultures and wild animals, and I will rain down fire on Magog and all of your allies who live safely on the coasts. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And if you look at the coasts, Around the Mediterranean, the majority that are, are near Israel are, in fact, allies of Iran, 
become allies of Iran and more in particular Russia. Now, how many know that how many know that your real enemy, the enemy that you really need to be frightened of, is not the devil? If you are getting on the wrong side of God, God, that's the problem. That's when you really need to be afraid of. And God declares it. Gog or dictator of Russia, you are my enemy. Now, some have asked, is Putin, Vladimir Putin, would he be, would he be Gog? I would not say to you today that he is necessarily Gog, but I'm going to tell you this. He is Gog-ish. In other words, he fits the bill. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not making a prediction that he's Gog. He's the Russian dictator. But I'm going to tell you this. He really fits the bill. I don't know about you, but that sends tingles down my spine. Verse 6 there, it says, And I will rain down fire on Magog and on all your allies who live safely on the coast. Can I just remind everybody that what Ezekiel is describing here would be something that he, had, he could not understand, he could not really describe or give detail on because it's, it really is a foreign idea to him. But I can tell you this, that this verse 6 really matches the description of a nuclear attack. Now, if you've been watching the news like I do, you will know that the big fight right now, the big battle in the, the big issue in the Middle East right now is what? Over what? Over nuclear weapons. Hello? And you saw the picture of Netanyahu in the United Nations showing a bomb with a red line, and he's saying, when, at what point is the world going to step in and stop Iran from developing that nuclear weapon? At what point are they going to step in and do something? And so what we discover is that in verse 6 of this prophecy that God is actually going to turn that fire, nuclear weapon perhaps, God's going to turn it. What was meant for Israel, he's going to turn it on Israel's enemies. Isn't that amazing? You tell me that God doesn't care about Israel, that God is God has is not watching over his beloved Israel, I'm going to tell you, God loves Israel with a fierce love. And then uh, we read in Ezekiel 39 that the devastation is so horrific. Verses 12 to 16 of Ezekiel 39, that it takes Israel seven months to bury all the bodies of the enemy forces. And it probably would take long, except it says in verses 17 to 20 that God sends the birds of the air and the beasts of the field to eat many of those bodies that are left over. Those bodies that were there, those men who were there to attack God's beloved Israel. Don't anybody ever try to persuade you other people, uh, otherwise. Israel is God's beloved. And he loves Israel with a fierce love. The Jewish people are his people, his beloved, the apple of his eye. Now then, in verse 21, I, I wanted you to see these verses. I want to post these. Here's, here's what Ezekiel says. And, and remember, he's speaking, he's speaking the words of God. God says, in this way, I will demonstrate my glory to the nations. 
And everyone will see the punishment that I have inflicted on them and the power of my fist when I strike. And from that time on, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God. Folks, remember the verse I just read to you from Matthew 24, 14? Jesus said, this gospel, this good news of the establishment of the kingdom shall, be, well, shall signal or shall be proclaimed to the whole world. That's exactly what Ezekiel is describing here. He says, I will demonstrate, I will signal, I will proclaim, I will herald my glory to all the nations. And then everyone will see the punishment I've inflicted on them and the power of my fists when I strike. And from that time on, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. This is exactly what Jesus is describing in Matthew 24, 14, when he talks about the gospel. Or remember, it doesn't, we translate a gospel, it could just be good news or the, or the message of good news of this kingdom. And how many would say that this is good news? That God overcomes the enemies of Israel. Folks, we're talking now about what the end is going to look like. Now, I would say this to you today. As a result of the entire world seeing God uh, defend Israel from the onslaught of the Russian-Iranian coalition, because that's what it is. Remember that. It's an Iranian-Russian coalition. Go to Google. Go to YouTube. Google those words, Iran, Russia, and Israel, and see what it says. You'll see news reports. And some of it, you'll see a few kooky, you know, Bible scholars with their ideas, and some of them are good, some of them are, but you will see news reports that are describing exactly what I'm talking about here. The entire world is going to see God defend Israel from the onset of Russia and Iran. And here's what Ezekiel seems to be indicating. He says, from this from the special move of God in the Middle East, it seems to indicate that there will be, in fact, uh, a dramatic spiritual awakening that will occur around the globe. It'll be just for a short time. Again, this is consistent with the eschatology of New Testament. So you understand that this, in fact, may be the last chance to make sure that your life is right with God, that you are faithful to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a wake-up call to everybody to make sure that your life is right with God. Remember, God gives us these prophetic, these prophetic teachings, these prophets to, to tell us of what's to come so that we will be ready, so that we will not be shocked, so that we'll be people who are looking for his return. Now, I'm going to tell you, this could happen at any minute. One of the things that we're learning in our doctrines classes is some of the doctrines of the church. And one of the doctrines that we hold to is what we call the doctrine of imminence. That is the fact that, that our Messiah could come at any moment. But it would seem from this passage of Scripture that the thing that will herald his return is, in fact, the defeat of Russia and Iran and this Iranian dictator. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the that the the ruler, the present ruler in Iran, a lot of people don't know this, but the, but, but the Muslims also believe in a coming Messiah. How many knew that? They believe that there is a coming Messiah. And the, the man who's right now at the helm in Iran, he believes that he has, a, he has a special job to do, and that job of his is to help push things over the edge. He believes that his job is to help usher in 
the, uh, the, the Muslim Messiah. So we're living in perilous times, and, and, and you need to understand. For, for anybody else to hear that, they wouldn't understand that. But when you understand, when you understand what his mindset is in the context of what you've just heard, then you understand that, that these are perilous days indeed. But nothing to be afraid of if your heart and your life is right with God. Now, Jesus gives us a warning in Matthew 24, 43, and he says this, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Jesus, our our Messiah, who we believe is the Messiah, he says that his return could happen at any time. He will come like a thief in the night. You will not expect it. And so what he's telling us today is that you and I need to be ready for that return. And I'm going to ask the question today, are you ready? Are you caught up in the things of this world, caught up in your own selfish pursuits, or do you understand that you were created for eternity? Have you got your heart set on that which is temporal, or do you have your heart set on that which is eternal? Because remember, at the end of the day, the thing that matters most to God is not your stuff. Because Christianity is all about relationships. The God of of Israel, of the Old Testament, is all about relationships. And I ask you the question today, what's the state of your relationships? Because that's going to determine what happens for you personally. Now, I want us to close by looking at this passage of Scripture in Revelation, because some people have been asking me, well, how does this tie into Revelation? I'm going to tell you, the books that you want to look at Go to Daniel, read Daniel. Go to Ezekiel, read Ezekiel. Go to Revelation, read Revelation. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 24, read Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about the last days, and then take a look at Luke 21. These are the the key passages that talk about these last days. Now, here's what what the revelator says in in Revelation uh, verse 13 and 14. Let's look at that. And he says, and then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leaping from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And they are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for a battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. He is describing people, the gathering of Gog, the dictator of Russia, and all the allies who will go with Gog to attack Israel. And it's going to be a demonic inspiration. It is demonic spirits who, who will make it look like this is the right thing to do to come against Israel. It'll, they'll make it look like God is against Israel. But understand this. Don't anybody ever let you believe otherwise. God is always for Israel. Everybody understands that. The God that we worship is a God who is for Israel 100%. Get it? Okay, so look, look what, now watch this. This is important. Watch this. Verse 15. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. We just read that, didn't we? That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 43. I will come as an unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. Or if you want to say it like this, happy. Not fearful. But happy, cheerful, 
Excited. That's the that's what we're that's what we're the message that we're getting here. Happy, excited, cheerful are the ones who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. In other words, ready for when Jesus returns. And then it says, and the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name. Armageddon, Megiddo. You need to see that the prophecies of the New Testament, the prophecies of Ezekiel, beautifully 100% dovetail. There is no contradiction. They absolutely are in agreement. And so what we read here this morning is that the, the end, the beginning of the end started when Israel became a nation. And now we're waiting for the last piece of the prophetic puzzle, the last 14% of prophecy to be, be fulfilled, and that is the coming of the Messiah. Do I know exactly what's going to happen? I don't know exactly what's going to happen. You need to know that. I don't want you to walk away from here and say, well, Pastor Allen said, here's what you need to go away from here saying. Pastor Allen said, I need to be ready because everything indicates, everything points to Christ's soon return. When I say Christ, I'm talking about Messiah because that's, that's who Christ is. Christ is a Greek term for Messiah, the anointed one. Next week, we're going to talk about the Antichrist Daniel talks about the abomination that causes desolation. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24, verse 15. Listen. A growing number of Christians around the world are finally beginning to recognize, and we'll close with this, are beginning to recognize that, in fact, we are on the verge of the war of Gog and Magog. But here's even, what's even more astonishing. is It's not just Christians who are thinking this. Are you ready for this? There's a growing number of Orthodox rabbis in Israel who believe, as we believe, that the recent events that are happening now as concerns Russia and Iran are all indicators that the war of Gog and Magog is coming soon. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't that many years ago, that it would be absolutely unthinkable that any Jewish rabbi would ever agree with a Christian when it came to matters of prophecy. But you can see how for centuries we were so, so distant from each other. But as we come to these last days, what's happening is that the, is that the, is that the rabbi and the, and the pastor are coming closer and closer to one another in their understanding. Now, I need, I need you to understand that what's happening right now is that Israel is beginning to recognize that her greatest friends, her greatest allies, are not necessarily nations, but her greatest allies are Christians, evangelical Christians, who understand God's prophetic plan for Israel. And this is why, are you ready for this? 
This is why so many of those who are in leadership in Israel today actually consult with Christian theologians. They want to know what we understand is happening in these last days. My father-in-law worked for Bridges for Peace. It's, a, it's, a, it's an agency in Israel that is recognized by Israeli politicians as 100% legitimate, and listen to this, and 100% friendly to Israel. And they recognize that what we've been saying now for the last 50, 60, 70 years is in fact true. We never, ever would have seen this. Not for 2,000 years. Folks, we are so close. We are so close. Now, can I just say this to you right now? Because some people look at Israel right now and they say, well, you know, it's, it looks, look, everything looks cool. I don't know why you're jumping to these wild conclusions, Pastor. They look secure. Well, guess what? Ezekiel says that Israel will be secure. But it does not say that Israel will have peace. The peace that's coming to Israel, folks, will be a false peace. It will be a peace between Israel and the Antichrist. You come next week, you're going to find out the rest of the story. Would you stand with me, please? God, these, uh, these words of the prophets are given to us to make sure that our own hearts are right with you. Lord, we look back to the reason why Israel was sent into exile 2,500 years ago, and it was because they forgot about you. It was because of their sin. It was because they adopted the ways of the world with all its, its temporal pleasures. They forgot that they were a people created for eternity. They forgot that they were a people who were chosen for a purpose, to bring light to the world. 2,500 years later, here we are on this Sunday morning in this church. And we are, we are given the same warning to make sure that our own hearts are right with God. And God, I pray today, if there are any here, who's lo- there are people who are living a double life, who are, who are entertaining secret sin in their hearts, who are not living in a way that pleases and honors you. God, you are giving warning to all. Because of your great mercy and compassion, Lord, it's not your will that any should perish. It's your great will that all should know eternal life. And God, I pray today that you would do a special sovereign work in the heart of each one. And if there's anyone here whose life is not right with you, not what it needs to be, God, I pray that even today, before this day is out, that that one would make their peace with you and make sure that they have an eternal perspective, that they understand your great purpose for their life. God, go with us as we go from this place, and we go with joy and thanksgiving because our Messiah is soon to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell someone beside you, Messiah is coming soon.